0: Oh, Recorded live. Scuba Obsessed is a weekly podcast where we talk about all things scuba diving from cool new gear, places to dive, and scuba in the news. Welcome to episode 35 of Scuba Obsessed. This week we'll have the following stories in the news. Scuba Diver Finds War War II German Mind scuba diving team battles fire, Uh, longest open water scuba dive world record has been set, and we have some talk about the Lady Elgin being remembered, the Titanic of the Great Lakes. And this week we also have a special guest with us, Ross Richardson. How are you doing today, Ross? Very good, thanks. And then, as always, we have my co-host, Jim Kleeman. How are you today, Jim?
1: I'm doing wonderful tonight. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, talking about some of the stuff that we've got in the news, that's for sure.
0: Great. i uh, love to hear that. It's been uh, a busy summer, and it's nice to get back into doing some more of the interviews and things wind down when we get back to a normal schedule, which will include some diving. So uh, what we'll do is we'll go ahead and get started on the interview Uh Ross Richardson, we asked on, if you remember two or three episodes back, we talked about the rediscovery of the Westmoreland, and that was Ross. So we reached out to him, took the opportunity to invite him on the show, and he's agreed to come on. So, Ross, uh, can you tell us a little bit about the uh, the Westmoreland? Uh,
2: yes, yeah, so the Westmoreland, it's a 200-foot steamer that was built in 1853 and sank only a year later in 1854 in the Manitou Passage. Um, It was lost in December, it was making the last run of the year. And uh, they left and and the weather picked up into a gale and uh, snow and ice built on the deck and houses, forcing the boat to uh, ride lower in the water and it sprung a leak. And they tried to make South Manitou Island, probably got within a few miles of uh, making South Manitou Harbor, but the boilers went out, and then they were at the mercy of the sea, and it blew them quite a ways south. And she eventually found her, killing uh, 17 of her crew and passengers.
0: So, the, so very rel- a relatively new boat when she went down.
2: Only a, Only a year old, I think 16 months from our launch so yes, wow. very very new very new in an early propeller you know uh, that was pretty new technology i think the 1840s was when the first few propellers were made and uh, a lot of them were side wheelers back then they were just converting to the steam engines from uh from so very very early propeller on the lakes
0: uh, we're we're going to have a link to his website in the show notes, but if you want to head over to it now, it's at michiganmysteries.com, and you can click into the Westmoreland Discovery. Uh, now, one, one thing that amazed me is that there's this, a line drawing, but that's there wasn't actually any photos of this ship?
2: Well, We're, we're checking into that. There might have been one photo of her but it was destroyed in a fire in 1970 if it did ever exist so that drawing was based on a photo that no longer exists if it ever did but it's it's similar to vessels of that era they all were similar
0: yeah they all seem to have that that stifting arch in the wrecks
2: yes that's uh that's the main feature of those wrecks really are very identifiable as the hogging arches and that was because in the uh, 1850s and 1860s, they didn't have the technology or the engineering to build the hole strong enough to uh, take the type of weight and stress that, that those vehicles were subjected to.
0: Now, is part of that also because it is on the Great Lakes?
2: Uh, I, I think so. I'm not sure how many ocean vessels use hogging arches. I think with the uh, short weight, Intervals; those holes were really stressed out, and they needed to strengthen them up. Is my yeah. understanding?
0: Yeah, th- that makes sense. Now, because uh, when I when I first saw this line drawing, I was thinking, well, that looks kind of like the Ironsides.
2: Very similar. Very similar. As a matter of fact, uh, LaFreniere, I believe, was a builder of the Westmoreland and the Ironsides. And he had his fingerprints on both.
0: Okay. So the Westmoreland would yeah. have be- would have predated the Ironsides then.
2: Yes, the Ironsides was built in the 1860s, I believe, and that was a twin-screw, also twin-engine uh, vessel where the, where the Westmoreland is a, a single uh, boiler, single-engine, single-screw vessel. But very similar those hogging arches are very similar. As a matter of fact, I, I dove uh, the Ironsides a few times and looked at the condition the Ironsides was in, and that kind of that uh, kind of told me what I thought the Westmoreland would look like, that condition or worse.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Now, so let's jump ahead to the discovery. When did you uh, discover the wreck this year? I believe it was July
2: 7th. It was a Wednesday. I was uh, on vacation that week. And uh, I went out. Nobody wanted to go out and, and look at a computer monitor all day long with me, but it was a flat day. Uh, my wife was thinking about going out, but she wasn't feeling well. So I, uh, uh, all my searching I ended up doing by myself. I uh, can launch my boat by myself and recover it and do everything. So I, I went out there in the afternoon and started uh, running lanes in my search area. And, uh, yeah, I, I came across her. Really quite surprised.
0: Now, was that the intention? Is that what you were looking for out there? Or are you looking for anything you could find?
2: Uh, no, the Westmoreland. I, I've been researching her for years, and I uh, came up with a pretty good theory of where she might be, and that—that's what I was working on.
0: Now, the location where you found her—is it one of those spots where you had been over there many times before and just didn't think about looking? Like, is it was it on your way to some other search spots? Had you been around that area well, for a while?
2: It's, no, not at all. Uh, it's, uh, it, it's, somewhat remote because of the lack of harbors in the Manitou Passage. Uh, it was an area that I had looked last year, but that was when I had a very primitive bottom recorder and I was doing a lot of, uh, diving on sites. I, I saw on Google Earth actually, so <laughs> a, a poor man's way of looking <laughs> mm-hmm. for rec, but I would look for dark shadows and I found a dark shadow in the area that was 200 feet long. So I, I dove that area about ten times, really pounding the bottom, uh, hoping to find it. But that that wasn't it. that
0: wasn't it. Now, now
2: was you, it. But I wasn't knocking at the door.
0: Now you said you were using primitive equipment before. What kind of equipment would that have been?
2: Uh, it, an old paper graph. Oh, okay. Uh, bottom. You know, a GPS unit from about 1963. <laughs> I'm not that old. It was. It was uh, the equipment I bought with the bolt was, was, uh, really primitive, uh, compared to some of the things I've been using, uh, lately. So this year I upgraded the electronics and that, that made all the difference.
0: So what, what did you have now? Did you get to, in the side scan?
2: Uh, yes. Hum, I have a Hummingbird 1197.
0: Okay. Now, now, Jim, is that similar to what Max has been using? Yep. 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 That's,
1: uh, we've had a little bit of experience on that, uh, and, uh, it, we haven't had any great hits, but uh, it the equipment certainly isn't what's holding us back. Let's put it like that. I don't yeah.
0: think. Yeah, but I, I could certainly sympathize with people not wanting to go out with you and mow the lawn because that can make for a long day having your head stuck in the uh, in the screen mowing the lawn.
1: Now, when you uh, Russ, when you first got that hit, it, you saw it immediately on the screen. I'm assuming live, right? Yes. Okay. And did you know in your heart of hearts right there, I finally have it? Or did you say, Oh, this might,
2: uh, I tell you at my first lane I went and I, and I really didn't see anything. My second lane, I picked up a little bit of wreckage. Maybe I, I picked up a few small targets and I ran over something interesting on the, uh, periphery of the sonar image. And, and it was in deeper water. So if you know that uh, your your, your uh, search lane really shrinks in deeper water. So mm-hmm. I knew on my next lane I was bumping over. I was running pretty tight. I was packing my lanes pretty tight. So I knew on my le- next lane I would really hit it well, which was at the end of my run. And it was on the side I was, side I was turning into. So I saw something and I said, well, that's very interesting. And when I hit it, when I turned around and came back on my third lane of the day and hit it, oh, I knew. I knew it was a wreck. It was right. big, big And it was like boom. There was no mistake. Uh, I didn't. I couldn't tell the condition because I hit it right at the bow, almost shooting back. And uh, yeah, I knew I had a wreck. I just didn't know, you know, the condition of the wreck. I, I start. I was really looking for a board pile. I, my theory was she was salvaged back in 1874, and they pulled the engine and boiler off. So when they do that, they fillet the wreck, and it's okay. uh, just just a pile of boards, basically, not a lot of relief off the bottom. And that's what I was geared up to find was a half-buried board pile, maybe you know, ten boards sticking out of the sand that I could piece together as a ship. Right. So when I went, I was like, "Well, that looks like you know a little more, a little more than I thought."
1: Well, that's but, uh, that's great. So so you're at this point, you're thinking, nope. Nobody's been down there and uh, actually laid a hand on it.
2: That's that's right. It was a virgin wreck. it Great. Uh, all the uh, history and, re- and research I did. It showed uh, a lot of people claim to have over, but n- nobody uh, has a story that matches the condition, the depth, anything about the wreck. And uh, I think the closest guys that came to getting on her were in 1936, Max Knoll and Jack Brown. Uh, I think they were on some of the cabin and wheelhouse wreckage. Mm -hmm. So I think that's as close as they got, but that's that's a little bit off the wreck.
0: Now, there was a little bit of a a legend reading through your website about there being some valuable items on. Yes. So... do you, so you don't think that, they that other than maybe that 1936 expedition, that they actually found it?
2: No, no, nobody's been on that wreck. Uh, when on, on my first dive, I, I started at the bow and slammed the length of the wreck. And when I hit the stern, there was a four-foot ship's wheel, the auxiliary helm, in perfect shape. And I knew that if anybody had been there before, they would have either grabbed that wheel or, or reported it. And, right. and it was just uh, an amazing shape. So the other the other people who claim to have found it said it was buried in sand. And this thing sits high, high and proud. Uh, the top of the arches is 30 feet off the bottom. It's uh, three stories high. So, I mean, it's not buried at all. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing. So in looking through the historical record, I I, I can say with certainty that nobody's been on this record before. Yeah.
0: Now, what do you think they found in 1872? Do you think they found anything? Were they in another wreck, maybe?
2: Well, it's in an area of a lot of geology. So, and I encountered this last year before I really got, it, before I really figured out the amount of uh, uh, underwater topography. So, I think they they had some snags that were actually uh, almost cliff walls it seems like you're hitting a wreck. Your bottom graph goes up 30 feet. Uh, It's very steep. If you're dragging your grapple, you pull right into something and you go down, so there's very sharp walls and holes in the area. It's uh, very much unlike the rest of Lake Michigan, especially downstate, where I'm used to it being very flat, very gradual, uh, depth increasing. So I think... I think they that's what they were doing in, in eighteen seventy four. There's no conclusive evidence. to say they were on the wreck, but there's no conclusive evidence they found it. And I think it was out of their depth range back then.
0: Yeah. Well, what just is interesting is that is that from that eighteen seventy four newspaper report where they salvaged the boilers and delivered them to a Chicago dock.
2: <laughs> yes. yes, well. And, I, and I've got a paper record. I really had to narrow down. I, I've got an amazing uh, amount of information, but for the website, I really had to compact things. And the paper trail is, it was Peter Falcon and his crew, and they had just salvaged the Milwaukee, which is uh, off of Wagachons there by Beaver Island. So they had pulled the engine and boiler off that, and then they went, to, which is very similar to the Westmoreland in size, and I actually dove at the spring to get an idea of what, I would be looking for the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they had the engine and boiler off that. They stopped at Beaver Island and picked up Paul Pelkey, who was the first mate on the Westmoreland and and then went down to uh, the Seaton Bear area, and that's where they claimed to have found the Westmoreland. Now many people will say when they dropped the, the engine and boiler off, that was the engine and boiler from the Milwaukee. They gave the location of the Milwaukee, but the name of the Westmoreland. So, uh. but my guess was they did. Indeed, find the Westmoreland, but no, it was the engine and boiler of the Milwaukee, and just got mixed up in the newspaper. Yeah, wreck yeah,
0: that, that makes sense. Uh, so, so, so not even on the 1936, they uh, they didn't find it.
2: Uh, no, no, I uh, got Max Knowles' memoir, and he talks about uh, being in a wreckage field, very beat up. Uh, The high point was a beam coming out of the sand, maybe four feet, and uh, it it sounded very much like uh, cabin wreckage. So I found most of the cabins around the Westmoreland, but uh, I haven't found the wheelhouse. So I think the wheelhouse, I don't think I had a Texas house, but possibly the uh, cabins right beneath the wheelhouse at quarters and such. I think those lifted off when it sank. As a matter of fact, an eyewitness count said the upper word separated with a bang when she went down. So some of those floated away is it, it, what I believe. And that's what I think uh, Max Knoll and Jack were Diving, at 36.
1: Okay. Wow. That's pretty amazing. Now, I, looking at some of it, um, now it looks like you and, uh, did you go down solo or did you go down with your brother on that first dive? I went down by myself. Did you? Um, I'll bet that was just, you know, after all the years, I'll bet you were just about ready to pee in your dry suit. I mean, just yeah, that, unbelievable.
2: Yeah, that, that, I was ready to, but that was more, uh, you know, it, it was a little spooky down there, you know, <laughs> when I, I turned around and started heading back. That's when I re- it really started sinking in because. You know, when you're diving, you're you're busy working on so many different right. things, right? And there's different emotions to this. And I really didn't sleep good the night before. I mean, as cool as I tried to play it, you know, you have a lot of thoughts on your mind, and uh, I I can't say as I was jumping up and down with joy. I just had a lot of things to think about on this, and uh, right. it, was, it was amazing. It was it was a a lot a lot to think about.
1: Yep. Now I took a look at your. Uh uh, the, the s- screenshot from your, your hummingbird And, uh, no, I would say that there was no mesquite taking it the day that you picked it up, was there? I mean, absolutely. It, the arches were visible. Nice oh. shot.
2: When I, when I first ran over something, I, I knew I had a wreck and, and that wasn't the shot I saw. It was, what I saw was the shape of the ship, but not a lot of detail. It looked broken up from the, from the original scan. And, uh, in the years that I've I've worked with searchers before. They always take complete runs, so I, I went down to the end of the run. But but as soon as I ran it over, I called my wife. Of course, she didn't answer. So then I called Jim uh, Soltel, <laughs> and that's a, that's a person I befriended uh, the last couple of years. And he he started looking for the Westmoreland in 1957, and spent over a decade looking for it. So he's, he's in his 80s and lives in Drummond Island. We were talking quite regularly. I'd call him from the boat, and hey, Jim, I'm out looking, you know, because he's the only one who would really listen to my rantings. <laughs> right. I so, him, I said, Jim, man, I got a wreck. I'm going to go back over it, and uh, I'll call you back when I do. So I hung up, and I stopped at the end of the run, and I stopped the boat, and I uh, took a little time to reflect and pray, uh, went in for a swim, kind of thinking about things because – you know, I it's kind of a big a big discovery and also, you know, how to handle it, uh, both personally and you know, sharing the information. So I uh took about fifteen minutes to kind of gather myself and sure and sure. pray. And then I headed down again and ran lane four It didn't pick anything up, but I knew where that other tar- marked the other target. So then I went back and started hitting it every which way and I had Jim on the phone and one of the shots, I really I shot it right down the middle and I was like, Jim, I think I see hogging arches. I, I can't believe it, you know, because I again I'm, I'm expecting a board pile. You know, ten boards right. six and upright arches. And then I spiked I spiked a part of the wreck that was thirty feet off the bottom and I was like, wow. <laughs> so then I was I I didn't know what to think at that point. I knew I knew what it was. I knew where it was And when you see the side scan image, yeah, there's no, it takes all the guesswork out of it. Yeah. But it added to the mystery because I really was expecting to find a board pile minus the uh, engine and boiler.
1: Wow. Yeah. Now, now once you've gotten, like you said, you had to slow down and think about how you were going to go about this because now you've got a tiger by the tail that you had been chasing for a while. Yeah. What's the next step? In a case like this, I mean, you, you don't you can't necessarily divulge exactly where it's at for fear of, you know, any number of things. Um, what's the next step? What do you do?
2: Well, for me now, uh, I'm going to spend the next year really sharing the story and sharing the history. Uh, I'm going to start doing, uh, you know, a PowerPoint presentation at historical societies and libraries. Right. I've got a few of those lined up. Uh, I'm working on a documentary with my, with my son right now also, kind of uh, getting into a little bit of the history of the wreck hunters in the past and the techniques they use and, and some of the things involved there. And I'm also putting together a book because the story is so in-depth. It's hard to – there's so many different angles of the story. There's a wreck hunter angle. There's a legend. The shipwreck story is great in itself. But then the, the mark on diving history that this rat wreck had, where uh, Max Knoll tried out his prototype rebreather. I mean, that's one of the first scuba units ever used in the world. And nobody realizes that they were on the, you know, on the wheelhouse records of the Westmoreland. And, and wow. he used that equipment the following year. This was the test of, of that equipment. He used it the following year to do his 420-foot record dive in Lake Michigan. So who tried that prototype stuff out on the wheelhouse of the Westmoreland, and and nobody knows that. I mean, it's been kept pretty quiet and, and buried. So that's a that's a really good story to share.
1: Mm-hmm. It, now, it, control not control of the wreck, but it falls within uh, preservation um, boundaries. Doesn't doesn't it?
2: You know, it, it's. It's by the boundaries of the, of the Manatee Passage Preserve, I, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm going to talk with some people about this. I, you know, having been involved in previous discoveries, I don't see a lot of states' support for these things. Right. Uh, and, and artifact theft is a consideration. Yeah, Uh, But I'm also not going to let history be held hostage by a small minority of divers. I mean, 99.8 divers are honest, legit, and they get it. You go down, you look at it, you film it, it's cool. You leave it, you know, and let our grandkids go look at it, you know, 50, 60 years from now. It's that small minority who need to take a trophy for some, you know, reason that really damaged the reputation of divers. And right. uh, I did talk to a wreck uh, hunter from Lake Huron who released a couple of really nice schooners. Uh, and he said the artifacts have been staying put on those schooners, which really gives me a lot of hope that people are getting it. And, right. and I think uh, video camera being obtainable to so many people, that's the new trophy, that's the new roof because if I hold up a rusty piece of metal to you and oh I took this up it's out of context. It's like oh it's kind of cool but what is it? Or if you go down right. there and get some really good film of the wreck, I think that's that's where things are going.
1: That is uh that's impressive. Now when it when everything is released uh what sort of diveable depth are we looking at here? Is it within recreational limits or, or further than it's, that?
2: It's it's beyond, you know, we're talking two hundred
1: Yep.
0: Okay.
2: Less than that, it's, it's, it's obtainable, but it's beyond recreational depth.
1: Yeah. It, but that helps with uh, the reason why it's been preserved as well as it has for so long. Um, the topography looks like it's, uh, you said it's down in a hole, so it's yeah. it's below high current flows and things like that. So that's uh, probably a blessing, it's right?
2: A very unusual sight it's uh again the geology in that area is re- it's really hard to search i don't know if you could drag a toe fish through there because it's just there's you know if you know sleeping bear doing in the empire bluffs there's steeps cliffs all over the you know that area of leelanau county and it's like that underwater it's very wow underwater. so that so the wreck the, the few times i've been down there i felt no current and i think because it's in the hole you're right. It's out of the way. There's no current down there. So current tears a wreck apart pretty good. So this is, this is very intact, very intact.
1: That is yeah. neat around by us, our, our lake, uh, uh, there is almost zero relief. If there's anything down there, it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, there's something <laughs> yeah. There's You know, the, it's slow, gradual, uh, changes in depth and things like that. Like you were mentioning before, uh, it sounds like a neat area up there. Now are you you're living up in this area, right?
2: Yes, I live in Lake Ann, which is a very small village about 12 miles due west of Traverse City.
1: Okay. And and there's a lot of diving in the area besides your new discovery, I'm sure.
2: There is. I think the the biggest issue is the wrecks are all shallow. There's one deep wreck in South Manitou Harbor, the Congress had about 160 and uh, that's a burn job, so it's it's interesting but not not yet. So, yeah, okay. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of shallow stuff. So I think in the next few years though, there's gonna be some more wrecks found in that deeper range. And I think mm-hmm. this might become a little bit of a of a diver's destination once once those uh wrecks are found and released.
0: Yeah, I, I have to agree with you there. We're seeing the same thing down here. Uh you know, if if you if you look at our friends kind of between us, the Michigan Shipwreck Associates. Uh, you know, some of the work they've been doing in the spring, they're finding it seems like two or three wrecks a year, and they all seem to be in that, you know, 200-plus depth. So I, I think uh, you're going to see more of that, and you're going to see – I see, like, Michigan and uh, Huron as a nice tech divers location.
2: Definitely, definitely. And I think the sonar technology, the, the hummingbird, is an amazing piece of technology. Uh, I In the past, I've had – the privilege of being able to work with a uh, great Dave Proder and Ralph Wilbanks and really get a lot of good training and, and learn a lot from them. But it's, you know, it's deeper stuff. It's two, 300 plus foot depths. Well, the, the hummingbird now says, okay, anything less than 200, your average Joe can go out there and find stuff. But there is a right. methodology. And I think that's what a lot of people have to learn is, you know, do your research and how to set up your search grids and get the overlap. I mean, that technical part, I think it's going to hold a lot of people back, but uh, some of the stuff that has might be under the radar right now is going to start popping in the next few years.
0: Yeah. Now on your, uh, on your rig, did you have a tow fish that you built or was it uh, mounted on the hull?
2: Nope. It was a uh, stern mounted hockey puck. Wow. And, uh, yeah, screwed it right on and the thing would just work marvelously. It's amazing amazingly, amazingly easy to install. And, uh, I wasn't sure how it was going to do in deeper water, so I did run out and do a wreck in about 170 feet and, and got a look at it. I said, "You know, this will work. I can see I can see a lot of detail down there, even with a the thermal climb, It did pretty well with the thermal climb. So I think anything less than 200 feet, as long as you again pack your lane tight, you know that hummingbird will find it.
0: Neat. Yeah, because because I know we've we've done that, but it seems that. We don't have the smooth days. You got it. Seems like you have to have a, a nice smooth day to get that good picture.
2: Ah, uh, fairly smooth, fairly smooth. I mean, yeah, yeah. You don't want to be rocking too much. It does work okay, but if you get rocking way too much, yeah, it does throw off the image. Yeah.
1: So you've uh, you've taken. I'm assuming you've taken uh, some of the other people that have maybe worked with you uh, down there, and they've gotten some uh, firsthand looks at the Westmoreland now.
2: Uh, no, no, I've, uh, uh, when you mean people I've worked with.
1: Yeah. Uh, just, you know, real close acquaintances that, uh, you could trust with, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, with something of this, uh, maybe a blindfold, maybe, a um, a truth serum to, before you take them out.
2: I've kept my circle pretty small. I, I yeah. do have a, a, a dive buddy who's, uh, went down with me once and, uh. Yeah, my days of solo diving are done. And uh, so, yeah, I've I've kept it pretty quiet. I I would like to open up the site next spring to uh, friends and maybe people who have searched for it in the past. And let them get the first crack at going down there and looking for her. And then I release the coordinates uh, in the early summer if everything goes, you know, goes well and there's no sticking points.
1: Right. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great, a great plan.
2: Yeah, I I think holding a wreck like that secret, uh, you know, I just, it just doesn't make sense to me. And plus you have to have that, you know, I don't want that hanging over my head. You know, I'd rather just share it and put it out there and and let people enjoy and really hope that uh, people understand just to leave things where they are. And most most divers divers really get it and are doing a great job. It's It's like I said, it's that minority out there. One in 150, one in 500, who just, you know, but but that's in all parts of society. We have those people who really don't, uh,
1: you know, really don't have it figured out. Right, that's not exclusive to diving. That's for sure. So now that you've got the Westmoreland uh, nailed, what's next for you? What's what's next for Ross? Uh,
2: I there's there's a few more things I'm interested. And, uh, I just don't want to say what they are. But <laughs> I, like
1: to,
2: I like to keep it kind of quiet, but I, I've got, I've got my list. And there's some things uh, that, uh, that interest me that, I, that I'm going to be looking for in the future. And I don't know how much searching I'll get done, uh, next summer. But, uh, beyond that, I've got, you know, I've got a few years worth of work to do, which is, uh, which makes me kind of happy. I move real slow. So I, you know, might take me a couple, few years to find find what I'm looking for next.
1: Right, methodical isn't always fast.
2: No, no, that's that's one thing I, I I learned working with uh with Dave Protter, is you just have to really cover the ground and make sure that when you're done with an area, you know there's nothing left.
0: It's going to be in that spot you missed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh,
0: you know, that would be horrible.
2: Yeah. Um, you know, I've seen that a couple times where it's the next lane over, or you leave a little gap and there's a wreck right now. I've, I've had experience with my uh, work with the MSRA. Uh
0: uh-huh.
2: Uh, spent a lot of time out on the water on the surfboat, uh, w- with them when I was involved with them. So I've seen a lot of weird stuff. And yeah, you just don't want kind to of leave any chances because you're right. Murphy's out there and, uh, and, uh, he's not a good guy to have on the boat. <laughs>
0: Not at all. Well, thank you so much for telling us that story. And, uh, you know, just shoot us a line when you do get ready to open that up. Uh, You know, if Jim and I are tech diving by that point, we'd love to go down. But if not, we've got some some other tech diver friends who uh, would certainly love to see that sort of wreck. And and I plan
2: on posting uh, more footage as I get it. So people have that availability. I really want to make this an open, uh, transparent wreck, so your average person can just look at the footage and get the idea. They don't even have to be a diver to see what's down there.
1: Yeah, I think I think that is really cool. Um, I look forward to seeing it as it as it's put up on your page.
0: So again, that's at michiganmysteries.com. We'll have the link there in the show notes. You can click right on over to that. And do you have an official YouTube video? I saw that there's the, the video that we've linked to from news sites. Do you have one that you've officially posted?
2: Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, my, my name on YouTube is NMI Rex. And uh, if you just uh, do a search for Westmoreland or Westmoreland Ross, you know, you'll see my video and a few other videos I've taken of other Rex.
0: Okay. That's great. So thank you very much. You're welcome to stay on. We're going to go jump into the news next. Sounds
2: uh, good. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thank you. Thanks, Russ. Okay. So the let's, let's go ahead. Uh, we're, we're talking about the, the Westmoreland. Uh, we've also hit like an anniversary of the Lady Elgin
1: yeah and that's tragic yeah
0: and let me pull that one up here and uh, that sank 150 years ago in Lake Michigan killing at least 300 people so so not much of a good way of uh, making that a a positive story but you know
1: yeah, it uh, the worst open water disaster uh, on Lake Michigan, and uh, tragic. I don't know. Have you have you ever read anything on uh, on this ship and and that?
0: Uh... A, a little bit. Uh, mostly, what I've been reading recently is the discovery in nineteen eighty nine. And just all the the court battle over that wreck.
1: Yeah, um, the way I understand it, uh, that ship had, uh, it was loaded to take a, a group of people, um, out on a, um, holiday excursion and, uh, essentially it rolled over right there, um, and trapped virtually everybody underneath. Now,
0: now, was this this is the one that uh, rolled over at the docks? Yeah, I believe yeah, so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Can and I that, interject? Sure. Yeah, you sure can.
2: Uh, the Lady Elgin was a side wheel steamer. It actually, sank off uh, off Illinois. It was rammed by a schooner uh, heading back to Milwaukee. Uh, I think it was. Let me think of the one that rolled over at the dock. I know the one, the Eastland, is the one that rolled uh, over at the
0: dock. Yeah, yeah Eastland is Okay. The, yeah, so the lady, that's right.
1: So this was actually out mid-water in a collision.
2: Yes. Yes, a schooner oh, hit boy, it right boy. behind the paddle box and uh, really, really uh, went in deep into her. And then uh, the schooner continued on, and the lady Elgin went down and broke up as it was sinking. And it spread out over quite a wide area, but it, it was uh, fully loaded with passengers, and a great deal of them died.
0: Yeah, yeah. The, the Eastland is the one that sank there at the dock, and uh, <sighs> when they were salvaging it, they discovered that submarine. So
2: the uh, uh, there's a there's a book coming out by Valerie Van Heest on the Lady Elgin, and I got to say, she has done a great job. Of writing I had the privilege of reading it the spring or some of the or, or early version of it and it really captures the uh, the tragedy and the horror and uh, all the things that happened when that ship went down and the struggles for survival people were trying to do anything to stay afloat it was uh, in a oh. storm and it was a few miles offshore but it was uh, it's quite an amazing story the uh, the wreck was found by Harry zuin And I think it was, you're right, 1989, and that led into quite a legal battle. He now owns the wreck, and uh, one of the few wrecks that are owned by a private person in the Great Lakes.
0: Yeah, he owned the wreck, and he did a a moderate amount of salvage, but he's having a hard time finding a partner for conservation.
2: Yes. Yes, I I think— well, I don't want to speak out of school on that, but, yeah, I, th- I think there's some stigma attached to it because of the legal battle he had, and that makes it difficult for institutions to want to accept maybe artifacts from the wreck. But I think he, the Milwaukee Public Library has really opened up and started working with him on uh, preserving those things and really documenting the history of the wreck.
1: What What would be the the issue with uh, um? With displaying an exhibit, um, once the court case has been settled, uh, once there's no longer a legal question about ownership, what would uh, these organizations care about who the actual owner is now?
2: I think the stigma of, you know, taking the uh, the artifacts off the environment or out of the context they were originally found and maybe some of the uh, court proceedings... Kind of removed some of the the uh, I don't know purity of the items. I don't know if I can explain that okay. correctly. There's just uh, there's just uh, you know I think some societies had a hard time historical sites had, had had a hard time dealing with that. Is my thoughts. This is just my opinion. But I think that kind yeah. of held because if they were to take these artifacts, then you know everybody's going to be out there stripping the wrecks and right. Presenting them and that's the old artifact debate, which is uh, pretty complicated.
1: Yeah, right. It's,
2: it's like racism and poverty. You know, yeah. very difficult, very difficult to solve, and not you know not a clear answer on how to on how to do it. It just takes time to to work itself through.
1: Right, right. So it's not necessarily an issue with. Uh, the items itself that the because they're already up and removed. I mean, it's it's well beyond that point on this case. They just don't want to seem uh, to be positively um, condoning it, I guess.
2: I, I think that might be part of it.
1: Hmm. Wow.
0: Well, we go from that to another discovery, which is historic, which is a scuba diver finds a World War Two German mine off Drake Island. So this is over in the UK. A uh, diver spotted a bomb in about 20 meters of water in a navigation lane used for shipping on Tuesday. An explosive ordnance team from the Royal Navy moved the mine outside the Plymouth breakwater and detonated it. You know, there's a lot of times you're you're feeling around for something, but uh, what would it be like to, to go and find a mine?
1: No, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> One of those grubbing dives where you're, you know, it's low viz and you're going by feel and... This feels kind of like what I've seen pictures of a mine.
0: Yeah, well, it's it, just a little over sixty years old. It was encrusted with marine and rust, and I'm I'm thinking at first you got to think, wow, this is an awfully round looking boulder, right? <laughs> right. Contained uh, about forty five pounds of explosives. Yay! <laughs>
1: <sighs> and from what I understand, those things, if uh, If they remain, uh, well, explosive at all, they get worse and worse as far as uh, uh, touchiness. Uh, They get a little bit more uh, unpredictable as time goes by. Would that be something?
0: And one of those things you would uh, have a little bit of the shakes after you realized what you had done.
1: Yes, you would.
0: Okay, and then the next one is the... New York City uh, scuba diving team battled a fire in the Hudson River. We like to highlight some of the opportunities you have with diving, and this particular one was was interesting, where the divers had actually played a significant part. Uh, they were battling. You know, one of the divers had dove into the water with a dry suit uh, and a hose and was actually fighting the blaze uh, from the water. They had uh, a couple other divers had. Had gone out and swam to uh, uh, the pier and had cut a relief section to keep the fire from spreading. So uh, the inferno raged. Uh, you know, they, they said had they not taken the actions of the firefighter divers, uh, they'd have lost the uh, the 900-foot-long pier.
1: Yeah, and they. St- uh, the story goes on to say that there was a, um, a Con Ed fuel storage facility
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: that would have been lost there, too. So potentially <laughs> much worse than just losing up here.
0: Yep. So the the New York City diving team uh, makes about 210 runs a year, and they have uh, members in all the boroughs over there in New York. And then we have a, a world record attempt, and it seems that they've been... This must be the year for world record in scuba diving. We've had the uh, three or four records for the youngest diver. We've had the most divers in the water. And I think this is the second or third one this year, uh, setting the record. Uh, We have a Naoi instructor with the Marine Diving Center spent 50 hours and two minutes underwater setting a new world record for the longest open saltwater scuba dive. Uh, And he did it, he said he did it to celebrate the 50th anniversary of the National Association of Underwater Instructors. So, uh, you know, yes, he was in a dry suit. So even in a dry (laughs) suit, I think your hands prune up. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. After that. I'm
1: sure after, after multiple hours, I would say so.
0: Yeah. During the first 24 hours, uh, he was accompanied by one support diver. Later on, they stepped it up to two divers and a doctor. Uh, He had some difficulties, especially during the two nights when conditions were the hardest. Uh, He managed to hold on or turn to surface after that 50 hours and two minutes. There's all sorts of questions. I mean, like, what do you eat before you go down for 50 (laughs) hours? Right. (laughs) I mean... Uh, so so many questions, but uh, they get they in the in the link you'll be able to see they give credit to a lot of people who made the dive. Uh, I mean I don't know. It, it, it seems they're somebody's going to break this. It seems like uh, it's these get so much press recently that somebody's going to go out and try this one again.
1: Well, wasn't it earlier this year that maybe yeah, that, it was a freshwater?
0: No, that, no, that was it. Was one of these? But what was that? That was uh, well. They had one that was a failed attempt, but then they had another one. I thought where somebody had made it, and it was in the forty hours range. Wow. So now they did fifty. Huh? He made he he maintained a constant depth of uh, eight meters. Uh, so you know, around 20, 24, 25 feet. The entire record is filmed on camera. Okay, and that looks like that about does it for the news. Did I miss, did I miss anything? No, nope, nope,
1: nope. I don't nope. think so. There was there was a lot of stuff if you were watching. Um, I know there was uh, the the tiger shark that had the human remains in it, but uh, I couldn't find any real information on it before that
0: yeah. um, and then we do have uh some potentially uh cool gear this one is uh, again the, the our, our trend seems to be the last uh few episodes that everything's been outside my my price range or pocketbook uh there's a new u-boat by works a french company personal submarine goes deep underwater and it's 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 a, a moderate modest craft it's capable going down to depths of uh 328 feet oh i'm saying i said french it's a dutch luxury submarine manufacturer uh u-boat works um they said it's it's uh a new line there it's part of their new line of submersible certified for depths from 100 to 1000 meters (laughs) so this particular one uh, is going to come in three models one two four and five and uh and uh, that corresponds with number of people including the pilot who could get in Uh, runs on lithium ion batteries and the new design permits the sub to be configured in a variety of options uh the one that they're showing here the the sea explorer 2 is rated to 656 feet
1: that would be so much fun
0: it would be Uh price range is a modest three hundred and eighty five thousand for the one seater and one million for the five seater. So and then if the exchange rate keeps going down over in Europe, we might be able to get it for a bargain. Right. Yeah, so maybe just you know a little under a million.
1: That would be uh that would be fun.
0: It would be. But we, you know, what's interesting is we see these press releases where they—it seems like everybody has these mockups. But I don't ever see these anywhere for sale, rent, tours. I think Branson's the only one where he had his uh, jet that he actually paid for, where you can go out and, uh, and get in it. Mm-hmm. So right. So that does it for the news. Uh, go ahead and head over to the Facebook page. Uh, facebook.com forward slash goob obsessed we have a lot of discussions going over there and i thought that this week we would bring up in uh you know the, some of the questions that came over and maybe try and answer them on the show and i my intention was to give jim some advance notice which i didn't do and was actually to look up the answers, which I didn't do, so... <laughs> Maybe we'll so Jim's through. in the dark, right yeah, on. Right, and, and remember, we're not a substitute for your instructor, so as always follow your oh, geez, diving no. instructors. Uh, we're, we're, we're two people with a microphone, and we just uh, blabber on and uh, dive as much as we can. But uh, this week's question was, uh, uh, one of the, the people who had been following us and has actually gotten into scuba diving, so... Congrats, and it's Jamie. Uh, she was saying she she's getting into the book, and I don't think she's actually started the class. So we know how fun it can be going through that that patch right. book before the the class starts. And she says she's having a hard time understanding the the questions in the book. And she goes, uh, air volume and density." So ah, uh. yeah, and and that's one of those that I I think it's easier you know cuz i was going to type an email and list stuff but you know that's dry and that's part of the problem some some of the books have they're they're, they're trying to teach some concepts that really you almost need to see and experience or to i mean it's important that you understand them but uh you know w- when i look at air volume to me that's like displacement that's the the area of air at sea level or atmospheric level you know how right. many cubic feet so when we call uh, an 80 cubic feet cylinder we're talking about that displacement or that air volume that can be contained in that cylinder when you talk about density it's how tightly packed those molecules are in the air and as the pressure increases or your depth increases which increases your pressure that density gets together so is that how you see that Jim
1: yeah and you know um the the best thing that really drove it home you know no, knew that you know in in theory and all of that stuff but what was really cool was on that uh, the chamber dive that we did uh, when we could visibly see the size differences in the balloons and the styrofoam uh, head that we had in the chamber with us that at a given depth um, the same volume of air would no longer be the same volume as it would get packed denser and denser and denser meaning the deeper we went the smaller the balloons got, and the smaller the head shrunk. And uh, at the bottom depth, if we if we blew up a balloon um, to normal size at depth and brought it back up with us as pressure was released out of the chamber, simulating us ascending in the water column, that balloon expanded and expanded until, um, well, it finally popped because as as pressure was Let off. It wasn't as compressed, and it could expand. Um, The volume was too much for the container. It was really cool to see that.
0: And and that definitely—that was a great visual when we were in that chamber. And this kind of goes to why that, as you go down deeper, the dive time you have with your cylinder, with all breathing being the same, is less because each breath is breathing in denser air and that shortens the amount of air you have in the tank so so that one volume that one physical volume that you breathe that breath of air going into your lungs you're taking more molecules in because it's at depth and it's denser but make sure if you don't understand that that you ask your instructor when you're in that class because they'll be able to to explain that and they want you to understand that because it's so important and you know as you're going up that's why you have to be breathing out you don't hold your breath going up because you can cause injury uh, by holding that air in your lungs and, and cause a rupture and where that's the most important which seems counterintuitive is as you get shallower you know 33 feet and less it actually happens quicker with less with, with going up less
1: exactly exactly and you know getting your head around that getting my head around that is is uh, sometimes I still work at, at stuff like that because uh, um, well that's how I am <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's you know and it, it goes the same thing once you understand that then the, the understanding how nitrogen um, comes back out, of the system after it's been uh, absorbed um, you know you start to understand how that works and uh, it's just pressure is so intertwined with diving that uh, once you get that figured out it'll, it'll open it up to you
0: Yeah. so uh, if you have any other questions go ahead and head over there you also have the forums on the Scuba Obsessed website uh, scubaobsessed.com uh, again we're listed in iTunes so you can go ahead and subscribe on iTunes or you can listen live right there on the website we record live each Thursday at 9pm you can jump in the chat room as we have Andy new toy this week is doing and uh, head over there and, and say hi and then also on, on iTunes we love those five star reviews. So go ahead hang out head over there and give us another five star review. Uh, we'll, we'll mention it in the podcast. So now it's to that time of the show where we talk about the dives of last week. So I unfortunately didn't have any dives. Uh, that being a holiday weekend, <laughs> uh, I wanted to. I didn't smuggle them in the RV, taking them camping. Uh, but, man, I saw some good spots. There was a, I saw a little river there by the campground that I would have loved to even snorkeled down just so clear. And the, and the weather was nice. Uh there a it was a little windy. They had a little small lake which kind of reminded me of like Eagle Lake or uh uh maybe Lake 16 in size. Okay. Uh yeah. That would have been interesting to dive in. So, uh well the next times I go and this was uh, was at Twin Mills in Shipshawana, I, I might smuggle that down there, so and and I and I scoped it out pretty well, so I don't think I'm going to get in trouble, but I didn't do it. Now, did you get a chance to dive?
1: No, oh. not at all. I uh you know, we we started kind of getting prepped for this coming weekend uh last weekend and uh, i had big plans but they just all kind of fell through and and nothing happened um we were going to go out and uh, do a night dive um on the havana on what was that saturday night
0: saturday night i was i was watching the tweets and
1: uh facebook
0: comments but it, it wasn't looking good and then i just couldn't watch anymore i was too depressed
1: they were calling for uh, anywhere from 8 to 10 to 12-foot waves uh, throughout the majority of Saturday. And uh, that is just not something oh. that's,
0: that's in, doable. In, in the daylight, that's no fun. But at night, that's even less. Yeah,
1: no, it wasn't even going to be a daylight deal. There was no way that that was going to happen. Um, and, and that continued on and off throughout the whole weekend. Um, so yeah what a bummer because I really wanted to be able to get out there at night on that thing well,
0: and uh, I, I'm bummed and, for you not getting to go, but I was also jealous at the same time. so it just means that so there's misery more...
1: loves company yeah, That's so... another example <laughs>
0: gotcha. also also everybody's gonna be more motivated to fit that in yet this year, so uh hopefully the right. next time i'll I'll be able to do it or'll be able to organize something so but uh fear not we got some dives coming up in. I just about guarantee one way or the other, even if we fill a bathtub up in water, we're going to get a dive in this weekend. Even we can't mess this up. <laughs> I hate to say that because that's when we're going to have a tornado that goes and strips through there. But uh, what we're doing, and actually all the mud club is heading up to Sheboygan. In fact, uh, uh, our mentor, Mac, and uh, who who is it? Uh, Jim already went up on Monday. So Labor Day, they went up, and I've heard nothing from them, which means that they're diving so much they can't take the regulator out of their mouth. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bob called me, and he was going up and uh, bringing Jim's wife, which I thought was interesting, with him on uh, Tuesday. And then I think all week we were having different divers go up. and uh, I, I was almost tempted to go up, but I thought the benefit of carpooling uh, I'd I'd go up when uh, you and Josh do, so we're gonna mm-hmm. head off tomorrow afternoon. So I'll be going to Sheboygan, and I have I I hear all these legends, but the legends are so big, I don't even know what to expect. Right. Yeah, you know, I, I'm I kind of hope I don't want to have my expectations too high, because I I I I think that uh, you know I I just don't want to be disappointed. So I'll plan for I'm going to see a sunken log and maybe like a piece of scrap metal on the bottom and then anything beyond that will be great
1: right any i've got two goals one is to actually get wet
0: <laughs> okay
1: breathing compressed air and two is to not be the uh subject of a tale of any sort
0: <laughs>
1: when we come back of you know i don't want to so, be in a uh, press release i don't want to be in a, a a lineup i don't want to i don't want to be nothing i just want to be the guy that <laughs> just yep to... i think he was there yeah
0: so you uh, know. so you i mean you don't even want to be the guy who blows an o-ring so you you, you want to be no. the, you want to fly under the under the radar under right? the
1: radar yes exactly <laughs> um
0: well so we just... don't want anything bad to happen to anybody so uh right. that would be good so i understand that uh, the spot where we're going there's a lot of diving there by by the shore Mm -hmm. so if you like to do shore dives are there uh bob took his boat up so his boat's going to be there so he's going to be getting out now the thing with bob is i have an idea that he's going to be 200 feet plus with his rebreather well
1: yeah when i talked to him um talked to him over the weekend and uh when he was first mentioning that he was going to be going he was talking uh all recreational depth stuff so
0: Hmm.
1: you know that's uh there's going to be a lot of diving this coming weekend.
0: Yeah. And they they tell me there's a shop up there because i got two tanks I'm bringing up. But it, I'm not like the old-timers who've got, like, 20 tanks. And a, you
1: and me both. I've got four staged and ready to go. and
0: uh, Yeah, between uh, you and your son, that's uh, two apiece. with my advanced math skills, I, th- I think, are yes, all about yes. in the same thing. So we're going to be doing two dives, come in, head to the dive shop, harass them, fill this up, run back out, do two more. Hopefully. Yep. And,
1: um, and hopefully fill them up again before we can't get any more air fills on Saturday for Sunday.
0: Ooh, that's right. See, so... Ooh. Yeah, because I was thinking uh, a night dive Saturday, but if you do a night dive, that empties the tanks. But maybe right. what we'll have to do is up we'll to barter. Because I, I just have a sneaky feeling like Sir Larry that he'll bring more than just a couple tanks. So, you know, maybe Boy, with some bartering, more... yeah, with some bartering, maybe we'll, you know, hey, let me take those tanks and fill. And I know in the past they've even... Uh, a couple of the members got some of their own compressors, so there's a, right. a slight chance. But I heard the toy box wasn't heading up there, so we'll have to take a look. Now, Ross, have you had a chance to do any diving up there in the Sheboygan area? Uh, no,
2: no, I haven't. I think the closest I've gotten is—is uh, is it the Barnum?
0: Yeah, you hit right the up. Barnum up there in the uh, by the—is uh, that by the bridge?
2: Uh, yes. yes. Yep, the Barnum, I think, is close. And then, uh, boy, there was a big schooner we did out there, too. I'm bad with names.
0: Yeah, I I am, too. (laughs) Uh, People names. uh, I actually do better with shipwrecks than I do with people.
2: (laughs) uh, Yeah, there's a big schooner off of uh, the island there, behind the island. Uh and done that, and I've been through the Straits. That's kind of my favorite area to dive, really. We're well this break. will
1: this will be our first my first trip up there um yeah. you know so I'm I'm uh, just kind of going to soak it all up this is an annual trip for a lot of the mud clubbers and the mud club is our local dive uh, club and uh so again come back without being the, the butt of a joke <laughs> without being you know uh that guy and that's all <laughs> I want
2: it's great diving up
1: there well yeah. hopefully the visibility will be will be decent regardless um, i think that would make it uh, a better time
0: so looking forward to that so now what time we had that's a five hour drive for us five and a half uh, so and then we're coming back sunday i'm assuming yeah if we if we want to yep. come back
1: uh, well i've got I've got standing orders uh, that Josh will be home and ready for school on Monday. So.
0: <laughs> so it means we have to roll in by about, what time's class start?
1: Uh, That wasn't an, one of the options, I don't think. I'll let <laughs> did, you talk, well, do the talking she, on that.
0: You see, you don't tell her. Just, <laughs> she didn't, because, did she say that? So we got to think like kids here. Did she oh, say that?
1: <laughs> oh, well, I'm blaming it on you anyway, so.
0: Well, the, and I blaming it on you, so. As long as they don't talk, which they will. Oh, nuts! We'll nuts. be all set.
1: We'll just we'll just count on my son to give us uh, advice. That'll carry us through. <laughs>
0: this This is when adult, uh, a teenager will come in handy.
1: Right, right. But that's that's the plan. And in the way I look at it, is if we can get uh, get some fills uh, for Sunday, get a couple in before we have to pile back in the car uh, with. Uh, three full sets of stinky dive gear, um, we'll be all set.
0: Uh, it will be all clean. It's fresh water here. Right. It
1: right. You know, that is the nice thing about diving out in the lake.
0: Oh, that's what Beautiful. I, it's like Lake Michigan. It's like, yeah. you know, so some of the inland lakes, you can get a little uh, a little funky funky. With, a, funky, yeah. funky, with the green, but uh, out there in the big lake, and uh, as much as I hate those invasive species, uh, zebra mussels are sure of clean stuff up
1: that's that's one thing I was gonna ask you too, Ross um down there it doesn't look like
0: Turn the recording on, okay, so now we're back, <laughs> we weren't back, but now we're back now we're back now we're back, now we're back. uh a little talk shoot. i won't we won't blame talk shoot. it's actually Skype, so uh Skype died on us, and it looks like we lost ross, so uh
1: well it, you know i that was a a uh, very interesting stuff. Yes. Um. To be to find something like that after, uh, you know, he didn't just luck into that. He's put a lot of hard work into finding that sort of investigation. Yeah. Uh, so
0: definitely, congratulations to Ross, and thank you for coming on the show. Uh, we appreciate you um, coming on and and sharing with us how that goes, and um, you know, let us know if you need anything or any plugs, and uh, we'll go ahead definitely and mention you. Coming up here in the future,
1: um, but as far as as far as the weekend, I think uh, I think we're ready. Have you got all your stuff ready to go?
0: I've got all my stuff. It's, uh, I mean, it's ready to go. It needs to be packed up. Uh, I was planning on doing that last night because tonight, you know, being podcast night or show night, it takes quite a bit of time to put this this tightly scripted uh, wonder together. So uh, <laughs> I I knew it wouldn't it wouldn't happen tonight. I'm taking tomorrow afternoon off which that should be noon which will be 1 which will be one thirty, which will be 2 and then I'll go get gas get home throw everything in like we're doing a 10 minute or <laughs> yeah, leaving for a dive in 10 minutes <laughs> oh no and then I'll be over to your house but uh, everything's pretty much already tanks are full uh gear is packed and stowed um now now I'll probably I... take a little bit extra tools I've got a, a tool bag bag mm-hmm. that I had from from camping I'll take yep. um, so, and then we'll scoot on up. I would like to get as much of the traveling done in daylight. I mean, I know we're going to get there at dusk, but uh, right. it's, it's just much better to, I, I don't mind traveling in the morning in the dark, you know, like leaving at three, but there's right. something about starting in the afternoon and getting up at dark that just mm-hmm. seems to make it a little bit tougher.
1: Yeah. Uh, now I do have to swing by a local dive shop. We need to pick up, uh. A wetsuit mm-hmm. and uh but that should be right on our way, i'm hoping,
0: yeah, yeah we can uh we can swing up that way yeah. uh the g p s can recorrect it for a little bit off course but uh yeah. that's that's fine uh, so yeah well I'm, I'm 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 definitely excited for it i've been been looking forward to a good dive, and you know I don't think this year that i've really done we've done everything's been day dives, you know it's been you know, it might be all day. I mean, we might leave at six right. in the morning and not get home till seven at night, but we haven't done an overnight multi-day dive. Like we have every other year. I think every other year you and I have dove, we've done at least one. So this is it.
1: Right. Yeah. Uh, we haven't gone to a destination, um, as it were to, to do any diving. Um, usually we'll get a trip into Gilboa or, or something like that. So
0: um,
1: this is it so far.
0: Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. We're going to we'll, we'll make it a great time. Uh, I don't know why I'm just kind of, I'm kinda concerned with filling up the time. I don't know why that, that seems to be, but it just seems like, uh yeah you know, I'm, you know, with, with when we dive, when we run out of dive, we go home and you do fun <laughs> stuff. But you know, now <laughs> it's up there. It's like, you know know what yeah we got a surface interval you know, how do you handle right. the surface interval you know do you so we'll we'll, we'll figure out something
1: well sure. um maybe a grill and a trip to the local supermarket would fix that Ooh. so i don't know i yeah. did, i'm assuming there's places to eat and things to do but we'll find out
0: yeah you mentioned a grill i didn't even think about bringing a grill up Hmm. Hmm. More, more items to add to the checklist.
1: Yeah, are we going to have room in back of the uh, scuba utility vehicle? That's the question.
0: Well, I think for three of us, we can we can do okay, but uh, yeah, not for a full size girl definitely. But uh, we, you know, maybe we'll have to see. Uh, so that that will be looking f- uh, coming up, and we'll be certainly talking about it next week. Yep. And uh, we thank you for listening to the program, and that means that we're getting to that time of the show. Uh, Yep. Yep. So it's time for the bad scuba joke of the week, and this one's exceptionally bad. And you know, for people with a clean mind, they'll have no understanding of what this joke is, and they won't even think it's funny. And they want to. So you like joke? So well, yeah. I mean, I I completely understood it, and we're not saying it's a dirty joke, but. Let your imagination wander, and uh, you'll get the gist of it. And if you think it's dirty, it's because you got a dirty mind, and don't blame us. So, our disclaimer. So, are you ready? Oh, yeah. Okay, so here we go. Joe and John were identical twins. Joe owned an old dilapidated boat and kept pretty much to himself. Well, John was an outgoing scuba diver. One day, Joe rented out his boat to a group of out-of-staters, and they ended up sinking it. Joe spent all day trying to salvage as much as he could and was out of touch all day and most of the evening. Unbeknownst to him, his brother's John's wife died suddenly. When he got back to shore, he to town to pick up a few things at the grocery. A kind old woman there mistook him for John and said, I'm so sorry about your loss. You must feel terrible. Joe, thinking she was talking about his boat, said, Hell no, in fact, I'm sort of glad to get rid of her. She's a rotten old thing from the beginning. Her bottom was all strolled up and smelled horrible. She was always holding water, and she had bad crack up the back. And a pretty big hole, too. Every time I used her, the hole was always holding water. Uh, and and it just kept getting bigger and bigger and leaked all the time. I I guess what finally finished it off is when I rented her to those four guys looking for a good time. I warned them she wasn't very good and smelled, but they wanted her to anyway. Damn fools, getting her all the way at one time, split her right up the middle. At that point, the old woman fainted.
1: Hello. <laughs> well, I I can honestly say I'm
0: speechless. <laughs> Uh, Okay. So, with that, as a kickoff to our vacation, (laughs) go out there and get wet and dive safe.
2: Call recording has been completed.
0: And there you go
1: i don't believe you (laughs) oh goodness (sighs) yeah
0: yeah so that will get us some some email (laughs)
1: oh i think so i think you're right so okay well as far as i'm thinking josh will be uh out of school shortly